back and uh, it, it's unbelievable. It seems like we, we, we're starting with obits on every single week when we come back on this, Tim. It's like, <laughs> I know. And, and you know, occasionally it'll be one or two people passing. And this week, the last week and a half or two weeks at the, since we did the show last, it's just been brutal. Um, I'm just going to run through the names. You tell, and then I'll let you just kind of, you know, go off and, on some movies and and other things we've got mostly actors and a screenwriter and a, and a singer, but we lost in the last week and a half. We lost Cloris Leachman. We lost mm. Cicely Tyson. We lost mm. Hal Holbrook. We lost Christopher Plummer, then Jean-Claude mm. Carrier. And then just hours after Jean-Claude Carrier, uh, Mary Wilson from the Supremes. So yeah, yeah. man, I I'm going to start. I'm going to toss Go. Larry Flint in there too, uh, because Larry, yeah, Flint, Larry Flint, uh, that movie, that and, and Woody, Woody Harrelson, uh, the people versus yeah. Larry Flint, uh, Woody Harrelson sort of giving that, that performance that sort of transitioned him, uh, into being a, a serious actor. Larry Flint say, you know, think whatever you want to think of Larry Flint, the fight for, um, uh, basically it was the first amendment fight. Um, uh, they, with relationship to his sort of pornographic fire, that, that was an important fight for the First Amendment, uh, and that film captured it fairly well. And and you had to have someone fighting for it who was fighting to say something that was incredibly offensive and odious, because otherwise yeah. there is no First Amendment fight. You know, if it's something that everyone yeah, it's, agrees it's, it's, with, it's, 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 easy, it's easy to fight for the thing that everybody agrees with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Plummer. Um, what can we say about Christopher Plummer? Sound of Music, a film that he did not particularly like. <laughs> true. <laughs> um, which is really super interesting. And, 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 and he did appreciate the film and he appreciated everyone who appreciated it. But, uh, but uh, he always, I, I, I had a chance to interview him once or twice over 30 years in Hollywood and he always thought that it was, you know, it, it, it approached something like mawkish. Yeah, I think it's what he used to say. Uh, but nevertheless, at 91, and he played so many other uh, extraordinary uh, roles over the course of his long, the long insider. Long career. He's so good in the insider. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, most recent, I mean, uh, Christopher Lumber was in knives out, uh, you I know, know. bumping around some uh, Academy award, uh, not too terribly long ago. Um, uh, Cicely Tyson. Uh, here's the thing about Cicely Tyson. When, you know, it, we, we think of Cicely Tyson today and we, we think of this sort of uh, matriarch, of, of, of the uh, black uh, acting community. And that's all fine and dandy. Cicely, uh, 90 plus years old when she yeah. passes away. But my Cicely Tyson is a young Cicely Tyson. Uh, my yeah. Cicely Tyson used to, used to hang around with Miles Davis and was a fashion model who used to be in the pages of Ebony magazine, mm. uh, 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 who was incredibly beautiful, sort of representing this very particular uh, uh, look for African-American women. My Cicely Tyson was in Founder. And yeah. transformed herself from a young woman into an older woman in the uh, autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. So I have this Cicely Tyson who was in who was in Bustin' Loose with Richard Pryor. <laughs> Terrible, <laughs> That's right. Richard Pryor movie. Uh, uh, it's just, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, I think I got the title, title right. The one where, where he's driving her yeah. and the kids, uh, uh, that movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's just, that's just, uh, it's just wonderful. So Cicely Tyson had this sort of wide ranging career. Our very good friend, Sherman Augustus played Cicely Tyson's son on a 1990, whatever the hell episode of touched by an angel. Oh, and on the day that it was announced that she passed, I swear to you, I look up at the television and Touched by an Angel is on and they cut to Sherman and then Cicely Tyson. <laughs> and oh, I'm like, no. oh, this is just bizarre. 
This you know, was just, I, it was just the craziest thing. So let me tell you my Cicely Tyson story. Um, my mother was an employee of Bank of America. I don't think I've ever told, told that on the on the show before. My mother did was mm. the was the customer service uh, person at at a Bank of America branch, and um, Cicely Tyson was one of her customers. And wow. uh, yeah, and and uh, this was in Santa Monica. And, um, I, I remember my mother always, my, it, my mother was so elated with her, said she was the kindest, sweetest, most gracious person. And when you do customer service you, at a bank, you deal with some pretty pissed off people a lot. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. You, 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 it, they it, need it, service. They need service. <laughs> and, and, you know, my mother being German wasn't always the warmest or fuzziest person. She, if she, if she, you know, wanted to tell you to go pound sand, she would, um, but she was she was completely smitten with Cicely Tyson, and they would have chats, and they'd have these long talks. And I remember when my mother would, you know, I, I'm I'm a teenager, and my mother, you know, I'd come home from high school, and my mother would come home from work, and and she would say, Cicely Tyson came in again today. We had the most lovely chat, and Cicely Tyson, who goes into the bank presumably to get some kind of business done, and like most people, probably wants to get out in five to ten minutes, would sit there and talk to my mother for twenty twenty five minutes. Yeah. And just and and they would just have these these chats and it would and it made my mother feel like a million bucks. And she was just she was she was smitten and and she she carried herself with such such a regal but not a false thing. You know, she was she was she, you know, she owned the room when she walked in and and she was such an extraordinary icon. So those are, those are the, the nature of those are the stories I remember. Man, the nature for Cloris Leachman. Uh, I, I, I met Cloris Leachman, interviewed her so many times over the course of my 30 years working the red carpets and the junket scene here. And she was just about always, even later in her, the funniest person in the room. That sort of Phyllis sharp as a knife wit. Yep. That she had in the Mary Tyler Moore show. You know, she's yeah. the last one because we lost yeah, Mary and we lost Rhoda. Rhoda. I know. Uh, Rhoda. Valerie Harper. Uh, 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 Lou Grant still hanging in there. Who the fuck? <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> Lou would be the one. Uh, um, uh, and, and, and Murray, is Murray still? Is Murray? Is Murray still with us? I know Ted Knight, we lost a while ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and you know what? Know. John Amos is John Amos is still around. Yeah. John Amos is still yeah. around. Yep. Uh, I'm just thinking about that whole cast of the Mary yeah. Tyler Moore show. And, you know, look, uh, when, when um, Cloris Leachman uh, got that Academy Award uh, 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 for, for uh, The Last Picture Show, where she was playing uh, that 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 lovelorn woman uh, engaged in perhaps this sort of illicit affair, and it's all shot in black and white. And Cloris Leachman, and there's a whole scene with her, and she's going to she's wearing the slip, and she's about to have an assignation uh, with that. And there's this whole thing, it's just this powerful, powerful scene. And you'll see why she was nominated for an Academy Award. For one thing, Cloris Leachman was so sexy in that scene. It's she's she's sexier than Sybil Shepherd in That's that movie. True, Shepherd's like six. It's like 16 yeah. <laughs> in that movie. Cloris yeah. Leachman was 40. I know. She was 40 already uh, in, that, in that scene. Born in 19, born in, uh, I forget, 1927 or something like that. Cloris Leachman. And anyway, um, uh, just, just a wonderful, wonderful uh, actress. Uh, uh, Bonnie and Clyde, uh, Cloris, uh, again, fantastic. What, do you, you know, what can you say about Cloris Leachman? Uh, the, she has some of the funniest scenes in movie history. And, uh, it's really amazing when you think of her in high anxiety, which is just bizarre. 
and to everything that she did in in um, Young Frankenstein. The outtakes from Young Frankenstein, where uh, Gene Wilder <laughs> cannot keep it together. He can't keep it together because she is so funny. Is she? She's just she's slaying. Um, she's absolutely wiping the floor with Gene Wilder. He, she just, you know, he, he cannot keep it together and all the dumb little things that she does. And she would do it on purpose because she knew what would, what would completely tickle him. And, uh, you, you know, uh, you know, he was, yes, he was my boyfriend. I remember watching that in film school, in our comedy class. And, um, I'd never seen it projected before, you know, I'd always seen it on VHS or whatever. And so I'm sitting there with our, with, with, you know, our good friend, Mark Sanderson, screenwriter and, uh, and my friend Dean, our good friend, <laughs> Dean, also screenwriter. And, and right when she says he was my boyfriend, Dean loses completely. He loses it. He just, he, he's, he's, he's completely lost all motor control in his body. He's just sitting there completely in tears cannot help himself and now when i watch the movie and i and it, even though it makes me laugh all i can think of is dean losing control of, of all reflexes in his body and it, it's even funny it's even funnier now it's just even funnier to me so uh, oh it's God. just it's just wonderful stuff it's just wonderful stuff anyway um uh hal holbrook uh oh. i know everybody's talking about hal holbrook hal holbrook also passed yeah yeah the, uh, the 95 years old um and, and people talk about hal holbrook and everybody remembers that mark twain thing that he did for 50 60 years yeah. It was great. Saw it in St. Louis in the 80s. Uh, me and the wife went to see that at the Muni. I saw this beautiful outside amphitheater in, in the 80s. Hal Holbrook doing that thing back then. Yeah. Um, uh, of course, he was married to Dixie Carter for years. Here's the thing about Hal Holbrook. And, and uh, you think about um, um, uh, uh, Watergate, all the president's men. Yeah. And we think about Dustin and we think about uh, Robert Redford and we think about uh, who, who played who played the uh, Bill Bradley. He got nominated for Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. his name? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and we think about him, but Hal Holbrook was deep throat. Yeah. In that movie. And I got to tell you, those scenes with him in those shadows and that voice. Yeah. And it, it was just, it was just, it, he was fantastic in that movie. People forget that that was him. That was Hal Holbrook playing deep throat. And, Hal- he, and he was wonderful. I just love me some Hal Holbrook. I'll tell you something too. Here's a, here's a little, a little remembered Hal Holbrook performance because it's kind of a minor film, but not really. It's a little bit of a cult following. Peter Hyams Star Chamber with Michael Douglas. Oh yeah. Oh Hal, yeah. Hal Holbrook did in that film what he did in All the President's Men, what he did in all of his performances, which is he brought, uh, a density of gravitas in just a few short scenes that makes the movie. He, you know, Hal Holbrook never starred in a movie. Hal Holbrook was a movie star who never starred in anything. He was always a supporting guy. He yeah. was always the other guy, but he was the yeah. guy who brought the goods in. He, he was the ultimate supporting actor. If you put Hal Holbrook in a movie, he would make everything around him better. And, uh, yeah. ju- you know, it's just so natural, so gifted. So understated and uh, really a, a, an actor that people should study. I really, I really think you study Hal Holbrook's performances, you will learn so much. Yeah, for 50 years, we, we, we wondered who Deep Throat was. I always said, yeah, it was Hal Holbrook. Jean, Jean, <laughs> I know. Jean Claude Carrière. Tim, Tim, uh, what, you know, I, I championed Jean Claude Carrière for a career achievement award from LAFCA for a few years. Never carried, you know, some, uh, there are just too many great people out there. I, uh, but, um, you know, he, he got his Oscar. He got his honorary Oscar just recently, I think a year or two ago. 
and and finally got that recognition. Had been Oscar nominated, certainly. Um, Carriere worked was an ace screenwriter in Italian, in Spanish, in French, and in English. Um, yeah. That that is just uh, extraordinary. Worked with with Bunuel. Is there a favorite Carrier screenplay of yours by chance? Well, you know, I, 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 the discreet charm of the bourgeois, but but the unbearable lightness. There it is. Mine too. Uh, with, uh, yes. Just, it was just because it floats like you just yeah. would not believe. It's just this absolutely beautiful screenplay. Uh, and, and it's funny because, you know, there, there's not a lot of dialogue in that movie. And it's not a lot no. of, so, so in reading that, if, and I read that screenplay, I don't know, whatever, what's that? The eighties, late eighties, late eighties, early nineties. What is that? Like that, right? Yeah. Uh, Some, uh, so I, so, like so when I read that screenplay, it was like reading a novel almost. Um, uh, yeah. so it's just absolutely beautiful. Yeah. The unbearable lightness. That unbearable lightness of being is, uh, I think by far his best, the great Phil Kaufman film. Um, and then, you know, lastly, Mary Wilson, um, not an actress, but certainly a, a, a huge entertainment industry figure. I, I have often said, even though we look at Diana Ross as the, as the, the, the front face of the Supremes, um, the Supremes wouldn't have been the Supremes without Mary Wilson. Agree or not? Which agree? is absolutely true. Which is, which yeah. is, no, 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 no. That, that, that's, uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, it took the three of them uh, to yeah. create the thing that was the Supremes. Diana Ross, as this sort of singular entity that went on to have that sort of singular career, absolutely, uh, both as an actress and as a singer and, 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 and all of that, sure. But you don't have the Supremes uh, without all three of those women, including Mary Wilson. Um, and to be honest with you, you don't get Diana Ross without the Supremes. True. Uh, so you got to have the Supremes to get Diana Ross, and you can't have the Supremes without Mary Wilson uh, and Florence. Uh, so, so these things—it's one of those things of where you know it's like it's like it's all so integral. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and 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 thank goodness that we were around to experience it. And, you know, a few others that we didn't actually mention on the show. We should, we should mourn Dustin Diamond as well. Uh, famous basically only for oh, one role as Screech. Screech, but quite a role and, and taken far too soon. Cancer is just so, so wretched. Um, and Leon, yeah, Sp- only Leon, 40 Sp- odd years old. That, that, oh man, Leon from St. Louis, from East St. Louis. Actually, Leon was from East St. Louis. He and his brother Michael. Uh, and, and, and of course, during their Olympics boxing run in the middle seventies, you know, I remember the, Le- I remember that Leon that Spinks fight. I remember when he, when he beat Ali and he was an old fat Ali, you know, it was, but, but he beat him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, <laughs> you know, and, and Larry King, Larry King, we lost as well recently, uh, which I, you know, Larry King's kind of been on death's door for quite a while, but anyway, so we've lost, yeah. uh, we've lost, we're, we're, they're dropping like crazy right now, but, uh, Anyway, on to other things. Golden Globes. Um, Mank yeah. with six Golden Globe nominations leading the field and then 12 Critics' Choice nominations uh, also leading that field. Is Mank an Oscar frontrunner or is it going to be uh, kind of another Fincher, um, uh, you know, Oscar event where he comes in with something like Benjamin Button and gets a ton of nominations and walks away without anything? I think, I think the only thing that he really 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 has a shot at his that screenplay um uh, uh for his dad uh, which of the screenplay for, for, for his dad i think there's, there's there's a little bit now there, there will be those uh our good friend ray green uh who will object to that based on the the, you know, the idea that most of the screenplay is kind of bs 
Yeah. Uh, um, uh, you know, confabulation. But on the other hand, it's just this original screenplay. And it's okay for, with me that it's sort of con- confabulation. It doesn't pretend to be any sort of a actual biography or anything like that. Um, um, so th- th- that doesn't bug me about it. I like some of the ideas and some of the notions that the Gary Oldman chews up the scenery, but I think that screenplay is about the only one that it really has a shot at. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting. A lot of interesting stuff. I think the most interesting thing about the Golden Globes, we rip on the Globes a lot, but, but here's where all of my criticisms of the Globes actually wind up being meaningful because the Globes nominated three women in the director's category. Mm. Uh, one of whom is Regina King, by the way, we should point out in her directing debut. That is not a small thing. And I know some people out there are saying, oh, the Globe is just trying to be PC. They're trying, you know, they got criticized for, you know, not enough, uh, not enough women in the directing class, not enough people of color. And they're just, they're trying to be PC. Let me tell you why that doesn't fly. Because the Globes have never given a damn what anyone thinks about them. The Hollywood foreign no, press. because everybody mocks them. Everyone mocks them. People have mocked the Hollywood foreign press for decades, ever since they gave uh, uh, Pia Zadora that, you know, award that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Look, the Globe, the Hollywood foreign press is a very particular group. I've criticized them, even though we've, we have friends who, who have in the past belonged to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. it. But the one thing you know about them is they care only about who is going to look good on the red carpet and with whom can I get my picture taken. It's kind of that shallow. So when the Hollywood Foreign Press, this is where the, with all the deficits kind of come back. When they actually nominate three women in the directing category, you know one thing for certain. They believe those women belong there. Yeah. Now, that's, that's a meaningful thing to me. Yeah, that's not a gimme. That's not a that, gimme. This isn't, a gimme. This, isn't, this isn't, you know, b- b- just doing somebody a favor. These are our special needs directors who need a little. No. Those three women absolutely belong there in the eyes of the Hollywood foreign press. And that's meaningful to me. I, I, and I want people to understand this is not a political correctness move. This is not, this is not trying to sort of be overly woke. This is a moment. This is a really interesting turning point. We've always said if you give talented people the chance to make their movies, they will be rewarded for them. Finally, yeah. Hollywood on, on, the, on, 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 on the strength of the work, on the strength, on the strength of, the work. of the work. That's it. The, the pro- promising young woman, uh, Emerald. It's, is it is it Fennel? Emerald. I think Fennel, so. I believe so. Woman. Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, all Regina know how to pronounce King, that soon. <laughs> yeah. Soon, uh, em- uh, Regina King for One Night in Miami, uh, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Uh, yep, a Francis McDormand film. So that's uh, and then there's saw David Center for Mank and uh, uh, Aaron Sorkin for Trial of Chicago Seven, which is still odd to me. Um, that's the weird one. Nominated and yeah. and the and, and particularly when when the when the small acts films. As a group or individually, or they're over in television. Yeah. Um, when all of these movies are on, te- anyway, whatever. Yeah. I'm going to go down that that rabbit hole again. Anyway, it so th- that to me is is a, is a significant turning point, and I think uh, it's a good one because what it says is um, that that we are beginning to get to a place uh, where we're looking at the talent and we're looking at the achievement, and uh, and we're gonna we're just gonna reward the the talent and the achievement. And it, for the people who greenlight the movies and finance them, it says, stop worrying so much about the, you know, the, 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 the ethnicity of the person, the gender of the person. Can a woman direct a man's film? Can a man direct a woman's film? Can white people direct black stories? Can black people direct white stories? Can Asian stories direct his? Don't worry about any of that. Talent is it, talent, it, it, man. Look, <clears throat> it took a moment 
of some drown, uh, uh, drum pounding. Yeah. Uh, all of this started six, seven years ago. Uh, and all kinds of machinations with the, uh, with, with, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the academy, uh, and adding this and doing that and all kinds yep. of, all five, six, seven years ago, all of that. So, uh, over the course of those years, what did we see happen? We saw some films, uh, your, your Barry Jenkins films, your Black Panthers, uh, Ryan Coogler films. And, and about three years ago, two and a half, three years ago, exactly what you said started happening, uh, getting in, in green lighting suites. All kinds That's of movies it. got green light. Uh, you know, land and do this and that all agree with these people in it. So now, uh, if, even if you take a look at then again in the Golden Globes, uh, best performance by an actor in a motion picture drama, you have Riz Ahmed, uh, who is an Arab man. You got Chadwick, the late Chadwick Boseman for a fantastic appointment. Yeah. You got uh, Gary Oldman, uh, and you got to hear Rahim for the more attrition. Another, so you have uh, it, it, this sort of net, and I've seen all of these films. You've seen all of these films. Yep. These are all perfectly reasonable. Uh, not just reasonable nominations. And, and frankly, if they had more than five categories, uh, here, you could, you could add another five nominations to, to that again of all kinds of people. Uh, and, uh, and, and that would be perfectly reasonable too. You have the performances in films like Minori. Yeah. Uh, uh, so actually, anyway, we can go on and on it, and on. So, um, and, and I've what said this we have here is all kinds of fantastic stuff that we can that we can nominate for for Academy Awards. I've said this for years. Talent is already diverse, and if you're concerned about diversity, chase the talent, and diversity yeah. will follow. And and you're gonna and you kill two birds with one stone. You get a much richer tapestry of stories and experiences and and things you've never seen before. And you're you're rewarding people who genuinely deserve to be rewarded. So. Um, I, I am heartened by a lot of this. Let's, let's jump into some new movies. Uh, uh, I want to start off with freaky. Tim, did you see freaky? <laughs> I don't know if I saw freaky or not. Oh my what gosh. Freaky. Freaky is the body switching serial killer movie with Vince Vaughn and Catherine Newton. Um, oh yeah. Uh, it's absolutely. Terrific. Oh yeah. The, the big thing, the swap, the body swapping. Yes. Thing. It's so freaking great. And, uh, I'm talking on film week this week about another Catherine Newton movie, which is kind of another sort of groundhog day thing. She's very sweet in it, but she's so good in this. Um, freaky is a great, great movie. It is, it is a comedy horror film. It's one of the best comedy horror films I've ever seen. It's so much better than, than, uh, uh, uh gosh, almost anything that any of the scream films for, for, for that matter. Um, basically, uh, Vince Vaughn is a serial killer. Catherine, uh, Newton is a high school girl. And for reasons that you have to see the film to understand, um, the, they wind up switching bodies. So suddenly you've got an 18 year old girl in the body of Vince Vaughn running around scared to death that the serial killer now occupying her 18 year old high school girl body is going to, to kill her family and everyone else. And it's just to watch, to watch them switch is the funniest thing in the world. Watching Vince Vaughn play an 18 year old girl and watching Catherine uh, Newton just completely go unhinged as, as a, just a homicidal lunatic is so much fun. I can't say enough about this movie. It's a blast. It's got some fun extras, deleted scenes, um, some featurettes and stuff on it. But really, the movie is the whole thing. And uh, it's another, you know, Blumhouse hit it out of the park with this. You also get a Movies Anywhere code. I'm probably going to watch this again this week as soon as, uh, as soon as film week is over. It's just so much fun. It's not that wicked high concept. Uh, oh, horror so good. Stuff is just, so good. Stuff anymore. Uh, I did see Tesla, the Michael Elmarita, uh, directed and written by him. Uh, story of uh, Nikola Tesla uh, starring Ethan Hawke uh, and uh, Eve Hewson and a few others. 
And I don't know if you look, I, I love the, I love the historical story of, of all of that. Michael Emery always does these things in sort of interesting ways. He did a version of Hamlet, sort of contemporary version of Hamlet with Ethan yep. Hawke some 20, some 20 odd years ago or, or whatever. And a, a pretty wicked sort of vampire movie, sort of a uh, contemporary vampire movie back in the 90s too. It kind of like, kind of does the same thing with this business here. Uh, but I don't know. Um, uh, it's, I, it, this is as much about, Westinghouse and a whole bunch of other characters here. Uh, Thomas Edison played by Cal McLaughlin in this movie, as it is Tesla. Uh, but you know, it's a sort of interesting little historical walk through the life of, uh, the guy that Elon Musk named that car company after. If you, if you wonder you, why he, he did, picked that name, now you know why. Did you by chance see the current war, the other one that had Nicholas Holt playing Tesla? Yeah, I, I saw that one too. And, and again, and I, who was that? Was it, was it Michael? Um, Benedict Cumberbatch played Thomas Edison in that one. Yeah. And, and Michael, Shan- Michael Shannon played Westinghouse. And that's and, who it was. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that story too. Yeah. You have to sort of, it, you have to sort of like tell all these stories together because those ACDC wars, uh, it involved all of these historical figures. Uh, and it's, you know, so interesting. Got another one here called uh, Dreamland. Gosh, I wanted like Dreamland so much. And uh, it was okay. Um, it kind of a, kind of a Bonnie and Clyde ish thing set in the dust bowl. Uh, Margot Robbie is, uh, is a kind of the, the Bonnie figure who, whose Clyde has been killed and, uh, she winds up effectively seducing this, uh, this young kid and, um, played by Finn Cole. Uh, it, it just, it kind of tries to be Bonnie and Clyde. It tries to be, um, a little bit of a, I don't know, East of Eden thing, it sort of tries to nod to a lot of that James Deeney stuff, and I don't know that it really pulls it off, but boy, it really gives it a college try. It's, it's beautifully shot. Margot Robbie is, is very, very good. I just think the, the narrative is a little bit thin, but it's, it's nicely done. It's nicely done. Finn Cole and Margot Robbie in Dreamland. Um, and that is from, uh, from Paramount, available on a Blu-ray with a digital copy on it. Mm, I, I saw a call to spy for film week back when it opened. And I, I, you know, I'm pretty sure that back, back when it opened, they, they, they felt like they might've been on a, and it's a fairly decent movie that they might've been on a, oh, I don't know, some kind of an award season run. It kind of, kind of sort of, uh, well, it's world war two. It's world war two. It's spies. Yeah. Olivia Dean uh, Pilcher directing this film. It's a true story of these women who were called to spy by the British spy service, the sort of nascent British spy service, uh, including uh, one particular woman, a woman uh, named Noor Khan, um, um, uh, who was you know, an, an Indian woman, and she was actually sent behind enemy lines uh, uh, to spy in Virginia Hall, a real, again, a, a real figure who sort of ran this, this series of spies. Um, it's, 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 it's an interesting story. Um, it's, it's intent on telling the story of these women so sometimes the movie sort of pauses in the sort of uh, John Le Carre sort of spy thriller thing that's going on to make sure that we know how heroic these women are. And that's, you know, that, 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 that sort of undermines it a little bit. But I, I, you know, I get why, why they want to do that. These are unknown women who did these amazing things. And, you know, they want to make sure that we understand who they are. But it, it does kind of just tamp down the, the ride that we're on. Um, uh, like I said, a sort of John Le Carre thing, which these women were in, engaged in. I mean, they were engaged in some straight up, no kidding around, uh, behind the lines spy. <coughs> uh, we they also we also have Synchronic, which I think is a really interesting movie that I don't think got enough attention, frankly. Um, 
It's from Wellgo. And yeah. uh, it, it's interesting. Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan play a couple of paramedics in the Big Easy. And uh, which uh, suddenly they get drawn into there's there's like there's this really messy stuff going on, a series of these really, really horrible accidents. And um, it winds up having a, 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 a not having a, a normal, natural existential explanation to it. It winds up dragging them into kind of a really fascinating um, metaphysical adventure i'll just say it's 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 a thinking person science fiction film you should know that going in that it's that it's a sci-fi film and um but here's the thing i kind of uh uh, jamie dornan is so good in this Mm -hmm. and he's been such a you know that that chiseled irish those chiseled irish good looks of his and just last night and i'm gonna uh, you know this will this will podcast will go live after i've already done film week but just last night i watched him in this week's comedy which is the new Kristen wig film she and uh, annie mumolo wrote their first screenplay since <laughs> bridesmaids and he's the guy in it and it, he's ridiculous he's so freaking funny i've never seen him do comedy before jamie dornan is stone cold hilarious in this thing mm. and mm. and um now i can't go back to something like synchronic and take him seriously because he's just <laughs> he, now, now he's a goofball now it's weird I don't know how that happened. Uh, I love the, those. You never know with those guys. You just never know. I know. Um, uh, 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 Diane Lane and Kevin Costner together again. Um, um, this time and let him go. Uh, another film that I saw pop up on some list. You know, I, I, I saw this film again for Film Week, and yep. it was a pretty damn good drama. Uh, it's just a straight up old school sort of western set contemporarily. Oh, actually, actually set in the nineteen sixties, which is really good because it eliminates things like cell phones and whatnot. Uh, and, and, and what we have is this, um, this family, Kevin Coster and his wife, and they have a son. His son is married, uh, uh, to this young woman, and, and they have a young grandson. Fairly, fairly early in the movie, their son dies. This leaves them with their daughter-in-law and their grandson. The daughter-in-law, uh, gets uh, swept up in a relationship with another man, and that man, uh, spirits her and the grandson off into the middle of the Dakotas. Uh, and, uh, Diane Lane just don't like the way it smells. And she, they, she decides to go and, uh, and visit, uh, and uh, her grandson and she feels like it stinks even more. And what I love about this movie, did it all really the pivots? It all really pivots on Diane Lane's character, this grandmother. Uh, 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 that let him go thing, uh, that is the title of this film. That's a thing that she says in this film. And she's going to get her grandson back come hell or high water. And this movie has that kind of hell or high water sort of dynamic as this sort of family, uh, this sort of family uh, out in the, in the hills of the Dakotas and Kevin Costner and Diane Lane and, uh, and this native American man. Uh, so, you know, this is, a, this is a pretty damn good uh, crunchy ass Western as Kevin Costner has been known to do every now and again. You know, we, we think about dances with wolves from, from 150 years ago. I saw that the other day. 1990 that film yeah I, you know and and we poke at that film now for a whole lot of various different reasons i don't i still like that movie uh and kevin costner also gave us to my mind my favorite rendition of wyatt earp his, i agree his, his wyatt earp is great is a straight drama and is fantastic i agree um and i love the four-hour dance with wolves director's cut which i saw at the grand rex in paris many years ago uh, it's four hours with an intermission and um, it's a it's an even better film because it 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 doesn't whitewash the relationship between him and the and the uh, the Sioux. 
it, it, it there's there's a great voiceover moment that was not in the uh, in the Oscar winning cut, the theatrical cut, where he says, and yet you know there are there are bridges, there are, there are divides between us that cannot be bridged, mm. and it, you know it, it sort of goes into a little bit of a darker place. But anyway. Um, Yellow Rose, sweet little film that didn't get enough love. It's kind of the same plot in some respects as Wild Rose, which, which was the Jesse Buckley movie where she's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Jesse Buckley's in, in, in an Irish woman who, who, who sings country and she's trying to make it as a country star. Yellow Rose is a, a little bit more, um, homebound, but it's, uh, it's about this Filipina who, uh, in Texas who, who wants to break into singing country and, and bridge that cultural divide here. And uh, it's really sweet. Uh, Eva Noblezada, who stars, is an absolute revelation. She's just beautiful. This isn't getting a lot of awards love, but I really hope that audiences find it because it's a super, super sweet film. And uh, mm. and I, I just love it. I think it's got some... And Leah Salonga, you know, um, no longer the young Miss Saigon uh, Broadway star, but she's fantastic in it as well. And I interviewed her years ago, and what a wonderful interview she was. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Love that movie. Uh, Breach is uh, one of those movies where Bruce Willis is the biggest thing on the cover, but the, small, <laughs> but the, but the smallest thing in the movie. <laughs> you know, he's like he's in like he's like in six scenes of the movie uh, in in the movie, but he's he's the biggest thing on the cover of the movie. And it, it, to a certain extent, this is kind of a fun film set in space uh, on this ship uh, that's that's left Earth, and they're going to a sort of a, a new colony out in the middle of nowhere, and there are all kinds of reasons reasons why they have to do that and and something wacky is going on on the ship and people are getting taken out and what's going to happen this movie i swear to god it looks like they made it in the basement of a junior high in pacoima because they did uh, yeah because I'm, I'm certain they did they just painted everything you know like a dark green and uh and, and put receding lights in every corner yep and they're just sort of walking around and every now and again they sit in something that looks like a recliner that i'm that we're supposed to believe is like the, you know, the captain's chair. And I'm like, no, that's a lazy boy. <laughs> that's it's, not a captain's chair. It's just like the expanse. You shoot it, you shoot it somewhere and you make it look all techie. And then <laughs> somehow, you know, some, some visual effects kids with a few computers in Karachi will send yeah. you all of the space footage. You cut it together and people think it's in space. And that's what it is. And, and, I, what, it is. and what the heck, you know, and then, and then Bruce Willis just blows the whole damn thing up. Uh, but you know what? I, I, I've been poking at, at, at Bruce for a long time now. Frankly, sometimes these movies are kind of fun. I don't know why Bruce never, ever goes serious anymore. Uh, I don't know. Maybe either. he doesn't get offered any roles. You know, even Nick Cage, every blue moon, you know, he'll pull out a Joe or that. Sure will. Something, you know. Uh, I like that. But Bruce just lives over here in this space, uh, and gets his couple of million dollar paycheck. And I guess he's just not concerned with it anymore. Uh, Ammonite, uh, has gotten oh, yeah. a little, a little bit of awards attention. Francis Lee, new film, uh, Francis Lee's new film. Um, so here's where I come down on Ammonite. Ammonite, uh, stars, uh, Kate Winslet as the, the famous, uh, 19th century British fossil expert, uh, Mary Anning, who is, who led a very, very difficult and sad life. She was, she is significant in the paleontology, archaeology world because of the fossils that she was able to, um, find and, and, and make public. She was a little bit famous at the time, but she never made a dime really off any of her work. Mm. Um, never married and never had children, never had a family, you know, uh, just really a very, very sad life. And this sort of theorizes because Francis Lee is a, is a, is a gay man and a gay filmmaker. And, and he sort of, these are the stories that he tells. He, uh, he imagines her story as a, as a lesbian romance. 
Mm-hmm. And and it's a completely fabricated story. There's no evidence that this ever existed. No no indication Mary Anning was gay. Uh, quite the contrary. But this is his interpretation of it, and I, he's entitled to that as long as we sort of qualify it. That yeah, said, kind of. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that 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 said, as good as these performances are, Shersha Ronan uh, is, is wonderful in this too. Yeah. I still think that this story was better told, more faithfully and and more artfully in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I don't really see the yeah. point for yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, which, 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 you know, that the, the whole gay thing is absolutely appropriate. I don't, I don't like, I don't like making anything up um, um, that it is necessary to make up in these sort of uh, historical, semi, semi biographical uh, uh, pictures. You know, I just don't care for it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. What can I say? Uh, uh, Saoirse Ronan is absolutely exquisite in the film, as he just always seems to be. Though, um, um, so you know, I will, I won't, you know, I won't be mad about that. Uh, Wild Mountain Time. Um, was one that folks was talking about too. John Patrick Shanley, uh, 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 directing and writing. I just wanted to do sort of a star-crossed lover kind of thing. Uh, 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 you get you have uh, uh, you have Emily Blunt and you got uh, Jamie Dornan again uh, and John Hal- uh, John Hamm in the lead of this thing. And it's just sort of this argument between these two families about this land and this sort of romance develops between it all. It's it, it, it was it was lovely. I think again, of a lot of folks figured we'd be we might be talking about it uh, during this particular period, this uh, sort of award period. But it kind of just sort of like slipped off everybody's radar. It's 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 good, but not great. Got a couple of films here from Indican, both of which are going to be in theaters uh, and and may be in some theaters at the moment. But they are um, they are coming out on DVD as well for the remainder of this month. And uh, so wanted to kind of put those on people's um, people's radar. One of them is The Bra. The Bra is actually really, really quite incredibly funny. Um, it, it's it's uh, it is a clever. Oh, how would I even describe this? Um, it's a, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a, an inverted Cinderella movie, um, of, with underwear. I don't even know how to even go about it. It's it's almost the kind of film that used to be like a like a classic Italian film, um, you know, a classic Italian comedy. It feels like something that that would have been made with uh, Marcello Mastroianni in the ninth, like nineteen sixty eight or something. Uh, Veit Helmer is the director. Stars uh, Paz Vega, Denis Levant, um, Mickey Manoljovic, I guess is how you pronounce her name. Um, but anyway, really, really sweet foreign language film. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you about it. it it's it's a it's it's kind of a it's 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 just it's a it's a it's a it's it's a about a guy who's obsessed with a woman's bra to where it becomes like the Cinderella slipper for him to find his dream girl. That's I don't know any other way to, to sort of describe the plot. It, it, that's just what it is. And it's, it's sort of, it's just kind of crazy and fun and weird and silly. Uh, it's, it's called the bra. Check it out. Um, the, the, the much more significant film is Amigo Skate Cuba. This is a great, I didn't even realize skateboards are illegal in Cuba. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. For whatever reason, it's like a sign of rebellion and capitalism and something uh, counter-revolutionary, uh, whatever. Anyway, I guess I looked at who rides skateboards in America and thought we don't need those people here. Like the skateboard is responsible or whatever. But um, this is about the about skate culture, underground skate culture in, in Cuba. 
and how there are uh, Americans in Miami who smuggle it in like contraband and now are working to kind of build a skate park in Havana so that these guys have, you know, somewhere to sort of go openly. And I, I don't know if it's just tolerated now to, to some degree, but it really is. It's a, it, the idea of, of skateboarding as political protest is totally fascinating to me. And, and I think it's a really sharp film. Uh, let's see what else we got here. The Climb was one that I saw for oh, film, yeah. which was an interesting film that folks were talking about at the time that it came out. Uh, um, uh, a few of these films are these sort of like buddy films. So, so yeah. Michael Angelino Covino, and he, he was the director of this and co-writer with his buddy, Kyle Marvin, and they're both in the film. Uh, and, and it does involve this long sort of bike ride, uh, sort of, uh, but what's basically has happened is one of them stuck with the other one's uh, fiance. Uh, and obviously this, this creates a sort of rift in this long and deep relationship that they've had over many, many years. But it's, it's you know, it's sort of an interesting thing. So it's, it's one of those films where basically as they, they go on these long backwards, they have these conversations and, 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 and memories and all this kind of stuff. So it's just about this relationship, but mostly it's just people talking. Uh, I love that George Wint shows up in this film. Haven't yeah, that's great. Wint, uh, nearly enough over the years. Love me some George Wint. Well, Michelangelo Covino, who co-wrote and directed and co-stars with Kyle Marvin, who co-wrote it as well. You can tell that the guys who are in it are the guys who wrote it. There is this is one of those movies. It's just like it's like uh, Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo, right? They're doing this shtick on the screen where you're like the actors could not possibly be just. This is dialogue those people wrote. They did this. They improvised this. They worked this out while they were writing it. And now they're performing it. You can just see mm-hmm. that perfect fluidity between the process and the execution. Um, I, I, what I like about this film are the scenes where it, it's the, there, there are scenes. It's just one long take. And there's some very yeah. elegant, there's some very kind of smart camera work that, you know, moves very judiciously to, to, to kind of capture the, the rhythm of a, of a performance in one take. I really appreciated that. So yeah, the climb sharp little indie. Uh, we've got, um, let's see what else here. I'll, I'll, I'll knock out two here real quickly. Um, the one that I just cannot abide is love weddings and other disasters. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, that one up. <laughs> just, it's just absolutely terrible. Um, uh, I, I, you know, Dennis Dugan was fun on TV as Richie Brockelman. And then he started directing really bad Adam Sandler movies and problem child and all this stuff. And his movies are just so tacky and tasteless. This is just, it, it really is. It's just an absolutely horrible, horrible movie. Um, Diane Keaton in this movie, um, I, 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 I don't even know how to even in, in any kind of a tasteful way describe this. I mean, first of all, it's about wedding planning and, you know, Jeremy Irons is this really, you know, uh, veteran wedding planner. And um, Maggie Grace is this like up and coming wedding planner. And they're like, and then there's, it, it, this is like a, this is like a, a um, a, a, uh, oh gosh, I, I'm, I'm, I want to say this is kind of like, um, a, a Nancy Myers movie that's completely gone off the rails. <laughs> and, and, and in another sense, here's, here's a better way of putting it. So it's like a Gary Mar, it's like if Gary Marshall and Nancy Myers were to have made a movie together and it just went totally wrong. <laughs> it, everything that could possibly have gone wrong that's what goes what goes on in this movie it, the, the the romances don't work what's supposed to be funny isn't funny um and the there are blind jokes associated with diane keaton's character that i just find so shockingly tasteless i can't believe that they yeah. they, they wound up in the movie but there it is um there it is i, I it's just foolishness um <gasps> 
So Wander Darkly with Ooh, Sienna, Diego Luna, Luna yeah, film. I saw Diego, that. Yeah, Diego Luna and Sienna Miller. Uh, written and directed by Tara Mila, I guess is how you pronounce her name. Um, I'm surprised this this didn't get a lot more love too. This is a, I think this is a really really interesting film with an amazing performance from Sienna Miller. I think she is really really sharp, and uh, you know Diego Luna is always interesting. I would never have put those two together, but because I, for some reason I always think of him as being like a kid. But um, I thought this was really 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 interesting. It's a very unusual mm-hmm. romance. And uh, uh, it, it doesn't go where I thought it would go. I, I just found it really, really fascinating and, and kind of um, almost Tarkovsky-like in some weird way. What did you think? Uh, the, the same thing, you know, and, and you know, when we think about um, they have this couple uh, in this job, we think about some of the films like uh, what the, that Vanessa Kirby film um, uh, that, we, that we've all been talking about. This, this oh, uh, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the recent one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it sort of lives 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 in that territory. Uh, Tara Millay, I think it's the way you say her name, uh, directed and wrote this film. Just really, really good. Uh, totally, totally uh, appreciated. Um, Wander darkly. Uh, survival skills was a, was was a sort of interesting. And we 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 have a lot of films that are directed and written by um, uh, you know original concepts directed and written by. This is a person named Quinn Armstrong directed and written by. Uh, which is really, really interesting that over the course of this past year, year and a half, there've been a whole lot of films that are not necessarily adaptations of, uh, you know, books or anything like that. Just a film that a writer director came up with and wrote and directed and they made these films with some interesting, uh, sort of ideas and concepts to them. Some of them pretty, pretty sort of high concept. This one is about the, the idea is that, uh, this, this video training tape from the eighties is found. And it's a survival skills training tape uh, that, that this guy uses. Who, who is, 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 is this cop? He's going to be like this perfect cop, uh, and, he, and, he, and he uses this survival skills training tape, and he gets involved in this whole sort of domestic violence thing. And Stacy Keach is doing the voiceover. Uh, you, you kind of get the feeling that Stacy Keach is doing the voiceover. This guy from back in the day, and it's really sort of it, 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 it's interesting. Um, uh, the way this goes, it doesn't work completely and totally, but a- as a concept, it's sort of wicked and cool, and I kind of dug it. Um, um, uh, so, yeah, and uh, again, a writer-director kind of film, uh, uh, Quinn Armstrong, survival skills. Got a couple of animated ones here. Um, really a fascinating thing here is Batman's Soul of the Dragon. So I'm going to cut to the chase here. Bruce Lee's in a Batman movie. Um <laughs> It's uh, it's this is animated, of course. It is it's a it's it's from the Elseworlds um, kind of alternate universe thing in the DC universe, and uh, it's set in the in the nineteen seventies. And um, it, 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 it what they're trying to do is sort of I, I guess you know recontextualize a lot of these DC stories and just kind of give us interesting backdrops. It's like what we do with Shakespeare when we set Shakespeare in you know yeah. the nineteenth century or the twentieth century and stuff like that. They're just kind of they're trying to give a, an elevated appreciation to all of the different ways that you can depict these various DC characters. And and I appreciate that. I don't I don't think you have to be uh, orthodox about it at all. Um, so it is it is very interesting. You know, uh, you get all these all this martial arts stuff in here, and Bruce Lee and and Bruce Wayne, and um, I, I I find it a, a, an interesting experiment. Um, I I don't know if it is completely successful, 
but I like the idea that they're doing this and that they're trying to do some of these things. And, um, you know, it reminds me like a little bit of like a serious version of what they did on Scooby-Doo back when, you know, Scooby-Doo was doing all those celebrity <laughs> things like Laurel yeah. and Hardy and the Three Stooges and the Harlem Globetrotters. And they would, you know, all that all that stuff was was awfully fun. So this is a little bit more of a serious take on that. I'm, I'm good with that. And then uh, Mark Osborne's The Little Prince. um, which is on Blu-ray and deserves a deserves a better telling than this. It is it is very nicely done. Um, it feels like it's trying to be faithful to the story. We haven't had a proper animated Little Prince really ever uh, as a feature film. There was only mm. the musical, the Lerner and Lowe musical with you know Bob Fosse as the snake from nineteen ninety was it seventy seventy one something like that yeah. seventy two somewhere in that in that in that neighborhood. And um, you know, I, I I think there's there's a lot going on here, but there's also kind of uh, an additional frame story to this that uh, that I could have done without. In any case. It has a lot going for it. It was uh, it was a Paramount film. I think it wound up on Netflix, uh, not in theaters. Uh, yeah. But in any case, um, not entirely successful, but hard to hard to not recommend, especially with the voice talent, which is amazing. I mean, Jeff Bridges, oh, yeah. Jeff Bridges, Rachel McAdams, Benicio del Toro, Ricky Gervais, oh, yeah. Paul Giamatti, Paul Rudd, Marion Cotillard. It's all over the map. It's fantastic. Oh, Albert Brooks, a little 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 yeah. little old bu- bu- Bud Court. Uh, yeah. In that movie, the other game, yeah. but of course, that was kind of cool. Yeah, good stuff. Let's see, Louis we- Louis Van Beethoven. I'll I'll pop it because I happen to see oh, that yeah. for Film Week too, and yeah. because I because you know I I, I I you know I saw it for Film Week, and I was like Louis Van, Be- and I went and I did all this research, and sure enough, Ludwig Van Beethoven, as a young child, a young young prodigy, was called Louis. Yep. He was called Lewis in his immediate family. He was called he was he was referred to as Lewis in the press uh, yeah. when, when his no, when notices uh, were were given for him. This movie uh, bounces around in time. Uh, we kind of begin with him as the uh, as the older. He's, he's deaf and he's old and he's uh, he's riding around with his nephew, uh, going from place to place as he reminisces about his life and his childhood. His, his alcoholic father, who was his sort of first teacher, and his and uh, and and everything, we started like bouncing around with him from the time that he's about six or seven years old through his teen years and his and being a young man until and it's a, it's it's really kind of a comprehensive, uh, although a little bit scatological look at the life of a guy who's I had no idea he, they called him Lewis back in the day. Very true. It's a, it's a good one. I had a, I had a Beethoven class in college, uh, hardest class I had in college. I kid you not. I, oh, I got a I got a C I got a C in it barely, and um, <laughs> honestly, it was so hard. But I loved it. I loved it. Um, Professor Winter used to go up and he'd play Beethoven on the piano at the front of the class. You know, as a music, it was in the music department. I should have known better. Uh, than that. Go do that. You would have done fine. You have a great ear for this stuff. You come from a musical uh, family, the, but, the, but the history, the history of all of that. That's my 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 my, my brother Robert. Uh, he would have known all of that. Oh, dude, dude, this is this is what the, the tests in the class were like. And by the way, I was in the class with a friend of mine that I had worked with. You know, who was a musician, like she had a band with her sister still does. They still perform all over town. She and her kids now. Right. I mean, she's a rocker. She's a musician. She's got a great ear. And, and our test would be like this. Winter would go up to the front of the class. He'd sit down at the piano. He'd bang something out for like 30 seconds. And then he would say, now I want you to write what piece of music. Did, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm saying, What piece of music did that come from? Where in that piece of music? In other words, what movement and what part of the movement? And what does it represent symbolically and literally in the life of Beethoven? And I'm sitting there, I'm looking up here and I'm like, are you kidding me? 
Are you seriously kidding me? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, this is, this is what I gotta, I, I'm, I'm gonna fail. I'm gonna fail. I'm gonna totally fail. <laughs> Somehow, by the skin of my teeth, I passed that class. I don't know how. I made stuff up. I don't know. But those, those tests were insane. Oh. Um, I love it. Okay, I got a couple it. here. Major Arcana is a cool little uh, indie film by a filmmaker named Josh Melrod. Keep your eye open. Uh, a lot of a lot of skill there. This is uh, this is kind of a um, it's kind of a part back backwoods noir, kind of part backwoods dr- indie drama. A little bit of Cassavetes thrown in here. Um, takes place in Vermont, in a part of Vermont I didn't know existed. I always think of Vermont as like this total kind of you know like people in their vacation homes and whatnot. You don't think of Vermont as sort of being very backwoods, but there's mm. a part of There is a part of Vermont that is very, very backwoods. And uh, this is very, very blue collar. It's about this guy named Dink, uh, who is a carpenter tr- with all kinds of baggage. And um, he meets a woman who also has baggage. Her name is Sierra. So they are Dink and Sierra. How about that? And um, uh, they have a, uh, not going to give it away. There's a history and there's a future to this relationship. Mm-hmm. And you're watching two two people who are a little bit damaged, but who are still strong, lean on each other and try to work things out. And the Vermont setting is pastoral and yet hostile at the same time. It's a very mm-hmm. smart little movie. So keep your eye keep your eye on uh, on Josh Melrod as a filmmaker. Uh, and then lastly, here on the new film front, Random Acts of Violence is a shutter original. It's good little, uh, good little kind of, uh, slashery, uh, horror-y, thrillery thing from, uh, Jay Barachel directing it. Uh, the actor Jay Barachel. Um, yeah, it, it's a, uh, it, it's a little bit, it's a little too close to, uh, well, let's see. Uh, let me put it this way. The, the relationship of murder to comic strips is a little problematic for me. I just, I don't want people kind of like taking undue inspiration from what's being suggested here. But Mm. as far as a movie about, you know, slasher killers and, and, you know, the, all of the, 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 how you catch them and go after them and whatnot. I mean, it's, it, it balances being exploitive and being serious pretty well. So random acts of violence is the, uh, is the movie, a, a shutter original. Um, let's see, Tim, I want to, I want to go through a bunch of, uh, keynotes here real quickly that have, uh, that have All right. up, um, just weigh in as, as needed. And some of this, the first one, uh, movie, I'm so glad that this is out on Blu-ray finally from Kino. Um, a man called Adam, which is an absolute, we're talking about Cicely Tyson, and I'm yeah. so glad that this came out because this is really one of uh, this is a wonderful performance of hers in an incredible cast. This is a great kind of tribute to jazz and, you know, everything, everything that jazz really represents uh, in American culture. Sammy Davis Jr. is the star. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got you also have Louis Armstrong. You got Mel Torme. I mean, Louis Armstrong and Mel Torme alone. I'm done. Are you I'm kidding done. me? The uh, Frank is in that movie. Uh, the, another, uh, the, the, most of the, um, Ozzie uh, Davis, that Brad pack, that Brad pack, you got Peter yeah. Lawford over Peter there, Lawford. you got Ozzie over there. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's Jeanette Dubois, who, of course, you know, we think of Jeanette Dubois, Jeanette Dubois, uh, 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 good uh, times, good times. Yeah. Lived, uh, lived across, lived, lived across the hall, uh, in that movie. She was a singer before she was anything. Uh, fantastic, uh, cast in that movie. 
It is. It is an absolutely fantastic film. Uh, you know, it, it, uh, Sammy plays a a trumpeter, and uh, it, you know, it's it gets a little stereotypical in the uh, the 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 uh, the musician with all of their all their their demons narrative, but. It's really, really good. Uh, and, and here's one of those kind of man with the golden arms. Kind That's of it. Yeah, and you yeah, know, who directed this, no directed this Leo, Leo, Leo Penn, Leo Penn, Sean Penn's dad, yeah. um, who, uh, you know, who passed not too long ago, but, uh, who directed a lot of great TV directed Chris, by the way, some people don't even really realize this. Leo directed an episode of Magnum PI that Chris was in where Chris is. It's a, like starts with a Vietnam flashback with Chris in the Vietnam flashback. Magnum P.I., the Tom Selleck Magnum also directed uh, The Enemy Within episode of Star Trek, where yeah. Kirk, Kirk splits into two people and, you know, there's the psycho Kirk and then the indecisive Kirk and they, they need each other. That was that was Leo who directed that. Uh, got Love three that. We- got three Westerns here. Uh, Man of the East with Terrence, uh, Terrence Hill, Thomas Hunter, Henry Silva and Dan Duryea in The Hills Run Red. And then uh, Wings of the Hawk with uh, Van Heflin and Julia Adams, which is which was a 3D Western at the time. Uh, these are all really strictly B-level Westerns, but they're they're fun and they're worth checking out. Um, they, there's a great commentary for uh, on Man of the East with uh, Alex Cox, who all he does seems to do these days is, is commentaries. He also does a commentary. That's on one the of those. That's one of that was one of those Italian jobs, right? Uh, Man of the East. He, was it? I yeah, like, I guess it I was. I guess it was. I guess it was. Uh, yeah. You know, Harry Carey and, and it, it, the people in it, Ter- Terrence Hill and Car- Harry Carey, the, you know, it's not an Italian cast per se, but I guess I guess it is dubbed. Um, anyway, Alex Cox does a commentary on that. Alex Cox does a commentary on Hills Run Red. Um, and then uh, Wings the Hawk has a commentary with Jeremy Arnold and a great 20-minute uh, commentary with 3D expert Mike Ballou and a Woody Woodpecker short. And then, um, yeah, right. And then let's see here. We got a couple of uh, a couple of other. Well, there's just a ton of stuff here. John Frankenheimer's The Train with Burt Lancaster is also out on Blu-ray oh, yeah. from Kino. Um, absolutely amazing. They have the the vintage John Frankenheimer commentary is on here, along with another one by uh, filmmaker and historian Steve Mitchell. Um, and uh, there's an isolated Great cast score. of that too. Paul oh, Schofield, John Moreau. Oh man! Oh man! There's an isolated score. The, uh, the the Maurice Jarre score is isolated. Paul Schofield is is amazing in this as well. Uh, really, one of, one of Frankenheimer's very very best, if not Frankenheimer's best film, frankly. A um, little bit more on the uh, exploitation end is Buried Alive, which is not Frank Darabont's finest moment, but um, you know it's Frank Darabont, and you kind of you you see him coming along. This is from 1990. This is before Shawshank Frank Darabont. And, yeah. um, you know, you can see him kind of putting it together. It, it, Jennifer Jason Lee and Tim Matheson, William Atherton, Hoyt Axton. You know, it's a it's a it's a respectable cast. Um, yeah. It has an interesting commentary on it by uh, Bryce Reisman. So, you know, see it if you are a uh, if you are a Frank Darabont fan uh, from something weird. And Kino comes the hilarious Inagagi. The uh, which, which, by the way, I didn't even realize this. And they brag about it on the on the packaging. The U.S. Trade Commission banned this movie in 1933, which was right about which is right about when the production code went into effect. They they yeah. banned this for for some bizarre, strange reason. It's kind of a a pseudo documentary. It's like a fake documentary um, uh, set in Africa, and it, it's uh, I guess because it was it, it was it, people actually believed it. 
you know, that this was like the movie was a hoax, that they felt that it was like a hoax on the on the public or something. I don't know. But in any case, it, 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 the idea of going into Africa and finding a, a gorilla worshiping cult is so ridiculous that if anybody <laughs> if anybody believed this in 1933, then, you know, you deserve what you get. The War with Elijah Wood, a very young Elijah Wood and Kevin Costner is a wonderful movie that did not get enough love at the time. John Abnett directed this. Basically, a coming-of-age film uh, during the you know the, the summer of 1970 when Vietnam is raging. Um, it's one of Kevin Costner's best performances. Elijah Wood is so touching. Uh, it's just, and that's all it is. It's about a kid coming of age, you know, with these awful other kids that that pick on him and his family. And Mayor Winningham is fantastic. Lucas Black is great. Uh, it's just mm. a, it's a wonderful, nostalgic. A uh, very touching film, and uh, the, that, the, that film came out in 1994, and it was kind of at the end of that period. We had, had a run from about the middle 80s until yeah. about the middle 90s of these sort of Vietnam um, reflective Vietnam films. Good point. Yes, uh, that, that, that uh, and you know, and, and some were better than others, but all of them uh, had at the most of them had at the center of them some sort of a you know a Vietnam vet who was. Um, sort of damaged. emotionally damaged from that yeah. war and what and how it all sort of played out in their family. Some of them took us into the war. Some of them took place here, but the war was sort of present. This was this was one of those. We got uh, Sammy Davis Jr. again, although it's not his film. He's a supporting actor in this. Uh, in Anna Lucasta. Um, uh, basically, I think this is Eartha Kitt's film. Eartha Kitt, you know, just kills it in this movie and and you forget what a great actress she was a lot of people just grew up with her knowing her as the the other cat woman on batman when <laughs> julie knew when julie newmar had something else to do um but you know eartha kit amazing singer and an unbelievably good actress uh when mm. she acted and uh this is this is a fantastic drama um beautifully made 1958 and uh she plays a I mean, she plays she plays a, a woman of the street, but boy, does she play it, you know, with like all kinds of sort of feminist aplomb. And she she just she, she chews it up, chews it up beautifully. Yeah. Sammy Davis. Well, I, always thought of, I always thought of Eartha as kind of like the the the, the Betty Davis, uh, the sort of black yeah. Davis. She sure was. Of, of that she didn't take no crap from nobody. That's it. Uh, when, she, when she did that sort of drama. That's it. That's it. Anyway, it's it's one of the most brutal depictions and commentaries on prostitution you will ever see in a movie, and Eartha just nails it. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's The Underneath, which is a remake of an old noir. I love this movie. This movie, Tim, this movie I, I, we came out, we both went bananas for this movie. I know. 1995. We saw this at the same screening. Oh, we did. We That's did. Cool. I remember I, I, you, you and Bridget and Christy and me, we were all there. We were all there at the same screening. And I remember we just yep. we all went nuts for it afterwards. It just, you know, it's one of Soderbergh's best. And it's it's so underrated. But uh, this was this was we, we saw it at the Gramercy screening room, which is still it's another one there. Now it's the you know, the one at uh, uh, 100 North Crescent in um, yeah. in Beverly Hills. And uh, yeah, I just I just think the world of this movie, I think it's so smart. Peter Gallagher is so good. It's just a really sharp noir and uh, it's it's like the perfect Soderbergh film in so many ways. So good. Anyway, it has an audio commentary by film critic Peter Tonget and a trailer. And uh, Kid Stays in the Picture. Tim, remember Kid Stays in the Picture? I, the, look, again, Robert Evans, yeah. um, uh, who, we, who we both met and interviewed and chit-chatted with over the course of many, many, many years. And Robert Evans never stopped being Robert Evans. True, <laughs> uh, and uh, he had these great stories. You know, I, 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 I look. I don't know how many things Robert Evans uh, said to me over the many years that I interviewed him here and there were true. <laughs> but the stories were always, 
man, fantastic. Because Robert Evans would tell me a story, you know, it, it, so, and then you see Robert Evans, he'd tell you the same story and would have a completely, completely opposite ending. And, yeah. it's just, and I'm like, wait a minute, the last time you told me that story, it ended in a completely different way. But who, but what the heck, it doesn't make any difference. Robert Evans. Well, Robert Evans in The Kid Stays in the Picture, based on his book, as he says early on, it's a beautifully made documentary, uh, really, really good. But but as he says early on, there 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 are only three sides to any story, your your story, my story, and the truth. And boy, that <laughs> that is it. That's what it's all about. I did not believe that was 2002, man, that that doc came out. That's just crazy. What a life. Uh, I mean, what an amazing life. He, he was an actor. He started as an actor. He was, unfortunately... And this is sort of ironic. Uh, he was actually too handsome. Yeah, uh, he wasn't that great of an actor either. But no. but he was also just too good looking. He was distracting on screen, um, uh, and he sort of played his good looks. So uh, fortunately, he 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 knew to get out of that business right away, and uh, and sort of worked his way over into the other side. Ran studios. Uh, what did he run? Did he run Paramount? Was Paramount the studio? It was Paramount. Run? It's Paramount. He was a he was a major figure in The Godfather, which is all over this movie. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Michael Winner and Oliver Reed made six films together, and we got two of them here from 1964 and 1969. The first one is The System, which is this um, really smart comedy. Uh, Oliver Reed, just such an amazing face. Uh, So this is one of those great British films from the early 60s. and uh, Nicholas Rogue was the uh, cinematographer on this. This is made oh. right about the same time as Mask of the Red Death, right after he was fired by David Lean from shooting Dr. Zhivago. So he went on to do other really interesting things. So it's very interestingly shot, very smartly shot. Uh, that's The System, which has an audio commentary on it that is not bad. And then we also have uh, Hannibal Brooks, which has Oliver Reed and Michael J. Pollard. There's a weird pairing. Michael J. Pollard yeah. freaks me out in everything that he's in. I don't know why. Beautiful score by Francis Lyon, this one. Uh, and this is just a World War II adventure film. It's got, you know, it's, it's fun and funny. And, and, uh, um, Oliver Reed plays a, um, uh, a, uh, well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you. There, there's an animal aspect to this. Yeah. So, uh, and I don't want to give anything away. If you, if you, basically, you know, uh, there's, a, it's got, it's PO, uh, prisoners of war and an animal. And a, a fun adventure that would have been totally different in the hands of Disney. And I'll just leave it at that. But it's worth checking out. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. Uh, then we got three George Papard movies. Um, the Ground Star Conspiracy, which is which is a really, really pretty cool movie. Kind of a classic 1972 um, era uh, spy-ish thriller with a little bit of kind of pseudo sci-fi stuff to it. You know, it, it, a lot of that stuff was going on in the early seventies, usually with, um, Charlton Heston starring in it. Uh, but this one has George Papard, who's kind of like a second tier Charlton Heston and not a bad one. Um, the very, the very, the very first film that I worked on in, 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 in a sort of legitimate way was at ITC, uh, Sir Lou Grade's company here. And, and the film was a George Papard film called The Night of the Fox. It was this TV movie. Uh, 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 and, and George played these two characters there. Then I worked in the, in, in the post department on, on that movie. Uh, and George, I think George made a couple of more films before he, before he checked out. So I got the chance to work on the George Papard film. Well, that's uh, great. Pretty cool. The, the other two here are just kind of straightforward actioners. Uh, one of them is John Gillerman directing him with a whole bunch of other people in PJ, which probably should have been a Burt Reynolds movie, but it's fine. You know, or, or, you know what it should have been? It should have been a Steve McQueen movie. 
that's fine. And then uh, Newman's Law, which should have been the Burt Reynolds movie, uh, co-starring yeah, Roger yeah. Roger Robinson and directed by Richard Heffron, who also did a lot of these kinds of movies at the time. And that's from 1974. So, you know, George Papard, he got everybody else's hand-me-downs, but that's okay. And then the last four keynotes here before we kind of move on to something else. Uh, Jack Palance and Eddie Albert in Attack, directed by the great Robert Aldrich, who directed all of these movies that I'm going to talk about right now. Um, uh, this is a, um, uh, a, a battle of the bulge movie, basically kind of straightforward. Eddie Albert is great. Jack Palance is great. It's battle of the bulge. What do you want? Burt Lancaster in Apache. Absolutely ridiculous, but it's mm. Robert Aldrich. So, uh, it's fine. But you know what? Burt Lancaster ain't no native American. I don't care. No, I don't care. Even, I don't even ca- with that tan, <laughs> even with that tan. That tan, the makeup, the the headband, the whole deal. It is just in this day and age, you look back on that and you're like, good effort, but I'm not buying it. It just ain't happening. Uh, but still, it's Robert Aldrich, so it's worth checking out. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he always directs the hell out of this stuff. Um, and then uh, kind of uh, on uh, still keeping in the Western end of things, we got a John Ford film and a Raoul Walsh film. Uh, the Raul Walsh film is the world in his arms with Anthony Quinn, uh, and, uh, and, uh, kind of holding the fort down. Gregory Peck and Anne Blythe are the, the main stars of this. This was made in 1952, kind of a, an all around general swashbuckler made by a guy who primarily was known for his, his work on Westerns. And then John Ford, this is the one I want to give, um, a little bit more attention to. Um, John Ford in 1917 directed a movie called uh, Straight Shooting. And John Ford, of mm. course, in the, in the silent era was was plying his trade. He was not one of the great all time silent filmmakers. He became one of the great sound era filmmakers. And you you kind of understand it's a really interesting trajectory when you look at 1917, when everybody is paying attention to, you know, the, the D.W. Griffiths and the Cecil B. Mm. DeMille's and, uh, and Chaplin and Keaton and whoever else. And, you know, um, uh, John Ford is kind of living in, in, the, in all those shadows. And um, when you look at this, you become very aware of the fact that you're looking at a guy who is not going to be a great silent filmmaker, but who is going to take all of these skills and sensibilities and he's going to bring them into the next era and he's going to blow up. And you can see John Ford really, really turning into something here. Um, it, is, uh, it is now looked at as a landmark Western for sure. He's not even credited in the film as John Ford. He's credited as Jack Ford. So, um, but, you know, Harry Carey would go on mm-hmm. to be a big figure in, in uh, sound westerns as well. And uh, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite an interesting film. Straight Shooting from 1917. Really, really worth checking out. Our good friend and uh, longtime colleague, Joseph, uh, Joe McBride, um, does the audio commentary because he wrote a John Ford uh, biography. So he, he knows his material mm-hmm. inside out. And there's some other interesting little featurettes on here, too. Wicked, wicked. So we got uh, we got a few minutes left. What should we turn to, Tim? There were a couple of uh, other uh, uh, foreign films that I thought were kind of interesting. Cool. Uh, um, uh, they are "Song Without a Name" being one of them, uh, which is sort of beautiful Mexican uh, black and white. I, I think I think it's a Mexican film in black and white. It's about this couple, uh, 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 this young woman, and she has this daughter. And she goes to this health clinic, and uh, they take her daughter away. They 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 kidnap her daughter. Uh, it's a fake health clinic, and it sort of disappears. And we follow her on this sort of really desperate, desperate sort of like uh, 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 search for her daughter. She gets involved with this journalist uh, uh, who helps her uh, in this. And it's just a stark. It's in black and white. It's a, it's extremely 
um, um, uh, moving uh, and, and, and powerful film. Uh, uh, so, you know, uh, it, it, I, I thought that that was sort of like a deeply, deeply powerful film, a uh, song without a name uh, out of Mexico. I love that. Uh, and uh, Bamako. Uh, oh, it's such a good film. Yeah, Bamako. Yes, really. Just, it's just, just a beautiful, beautiful film. Mostly takes place in that courtyard, uh, in that housing, in that big sort of house where all of these African, uh, a young woman, she's a singer at a nightclub. Uh, she's married. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And they put, they put the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, in this courtyard. They set up this sort of court. And you, all of these people come and we hear their grievances. And it's all, you know, it, it, it has nothing to do with anything. It won't affect anything. Uh, but it's this thing that we get to watch uh, yeah. uh, as we are engaged with this the, uh, this couple, these families, and the things that are talking about. Great 2006 film, Bamako. Uh, by by the great Malian filmmaker Abdurrahmane Sasako, uh, by the way, who is who is sort of the the dean of he's like the true foe of African cinema today. Really, uh, it's an extraordinary filmmaker. And this was this was in competition in Cannes, I believe. Um, he, he Back in 2006, five, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, on the foreign front, we also have uh, the audition, which I thought was a really, really interesting, uh, a really interesting film. This is a German film um, about kind of a very troubled um, violin teacher at this uh, at this mm. high school, and she has one student who is kind of underperforming, and uh, she makes it almost her obsessive job to to bring him to his potential and um it's all of the all of the tangents to that because she's got a lot going on in her life you know she's not a great family life she's having an affair with one of the other teachers like there's a lot that's going on and and uh, so her her fixation on this student isn't just a teacher's fixation on a student it's sort of it, it dovetails out of all of this other stuff that's going on in her life. And I think this is a more effective look at this kind of a psychology than something like um, the, uh, the piano teacher, which I, I think has some great stuff in it. Don't get me wrong, but that's a, it's a pretty mm-hmm. sick and twisted movie. Um, so this is the, uh, the audition, really interesting German film from strand. I loved a mambo man, uh, which is set in Cuba. It's this really, really wicked movie. So look at this. It's, it's a look at this guy. Um, and, and, and you sort of, you sort of imagine that a lot of, a lot of folks in Cuba, because of the constraints of trade and whatnot, have to do this stuff. And he has like 10,000 jobs. He's, 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 he's kind of an operator. Uh, he's a farmer. Uh, he's a music promoter. Uh, he, he, he does all kinds of things to try to, to try to make stuff happen. And as a music promoter, he's, he's engaged with all of the, some of the most famous musicians in Cuba. And he pulls together these little concerts for tourists and this farm is in trouble and, and going on under. And he tries to pull together this com- concert that'll involve, uh, both his work as a, as a farmer and his, in, in, in his work as a music promoter. And it's just really a sort of interesting look at the things that folks have to do. Uh, wow. In a certain sort of way, doing it all sort of jubilantly, happily, uh, 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 with jubilation, we'll put it that way. Um, despite the fact that these sort of hardships and, 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 and whatnot that the government causes, that the trade war causes, uh, um, uh, make everything so hard. Things that should be simple are so hard, but he, he does what he can anyway. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of fantastic music uh, in this film, a beautiful, beautiful scenery. Uh, and, um, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lovely sort of snapshot of what Cuban life is like, uh, and, um, in, in the music that comes from it. Good, good music. Mambo Man. It is a good movie. It's a very, very good movie. Uh, I, I am also quite fond of Night Shift, 
the new Anne Fontaine film. I'm a huge fan of Anne Fontaine. I think she's one of the best French filmmakers currently working. Uh, she's just absolutely amazing. This is from Icarus. Uh, although I have to say that there is some bias here because Omar C is in this and Omar C was yeah. in our, our Oscar shortlisted short. Omar is, uh, is a very, very good friend of our, our director, uh, Brand Anderson. Um, I've been at Disneyland with Omar C and his family. <laughs> I just want to say that. I just want to say that. Uh, nicest guy in the world, too. Um, and, and a huge hit right now on Netflix because his, his, you know, his French series, uh, it just became the biggest all time Netflix series ever, which is a fascinating thing, wonderful thing for him. But, uh, he is, he is a supporting figure primarily in this. This is a, uh, Virginie Efira, uh, is the, um, is kind of the, the main character here. And she and Omar C and, uh, Gregory Gadebois are these Parisian police officers who are just trying to basically hold together all of the crap that they deal with every day and keep their lives uh, stable. And um, one evening, there is a uh, there's an incident with a, a migrant and um, they it forces them to sort of rethink everything that they've been that they've been led to, to believe and do. And, you know, it's, it's one of those cop job dilemma dramas and it's really, really well done. It's not typical of, of the stuff that, um, that Anne Fontaine usually does. She's, you know, period films and dramas and not necessarily stuff that's very gritty and, and police driven. So she's stretching a little bit here and good on her. You know, uh, I, she's kind of channeling herself through Virginie F. Fira and mm-hmm. um, uh, who's just really incredibly good in this thing. It's a it's a really, really sharp police, uh, what they call them policier in France. So Night Shift, despite all of my conflicts of interest, I, I'm going to recommend Night Shift. I think it's a really, really good film. A real hell of a procedural. It, it, yep. it really, really is. Uh, my, my, my stupid dog, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, my dog's stupid. Just, my dog's stupid. My, my, my dog's stupid. My dog's yeah. stupid. This is what they named the dog uh, in, in the movie. Uh, Ivana Tal film and it's really really just funny 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 um uh I, although it's about a guy who's going through a bit of a midlife crisis and, <laughs> and, 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 and all of the stuff and this big stupid dog uh comes to his house and they, the whole family can't stand stand the dog and they're constantly trying to kick the dog out uh, uh but the dog keeps coming back and uh and, and you can sort of imagine sort of, sort, of, sort of where it goes and the dog is the star of the movie uh, uh, and uh, and steals the whole day, that, that gum thing is based on the John Fonte novel. I used to read a lot of John Fonte. Anyway, uh, I, I, uh, my dog's stupid. It's just really, really, really a scare. And and you know, uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg, of course, is in the film because she and Ivan Atal are married. And and all the all the Ivan Atal movies that he does with his wife with Charlotte, uh, I think are consistently sharp and funny and very smart. I I just love them all. Uh, got a couple of criterions real quickly to make mention of. Um, we were talking about uh, Sisako previously. Um, there would be no uh, Abdurrahmane Sisako if there had not been an Usmane Sembene before him. The that's where African cinema really begins. Mm. Uh, Sembene is 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 the great master of of African cinema, and this is Mandabi from 1968, which is an, it, just an absolutely extraordinary masterpiece. Um, the uh, uh, this is Simbeni's second feature, and it is the first ever film. This is significant. This is the first mm. ever film that was filmed in an actual original native African language. Mm. Until 1968, nobody had made a film in an African language. Uh, so it, it is it is significant. 
And uh, you really, really do need to check this out. This is just an absolutely wonderful uh, allegory um, about a young Senegalese man who um, gets, who receives, let's say, he receives some money uh, from someone in Paris. And uh, it is it is the the course of that transaction that winds up sort of creating a fascinating allegory about oh let's say culture and colonialism and just modernity and and a whole lot of other things that are all really fascinatingly wrapped up in this and um apparently it, it, it this was adapted from his own novella i didn't know that mm. previously so benny had written a novella and adapted this from that and um it's actually surprisingly funny at the same time. He kind of finds a lot of the, the reasons that we create our own problems in life, especially problems related to money. He finds it absurdist and unnecessary. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a really, it's a beautiful film. Mandabi, uh, yeah. loads of extras on this thing, uh, including a great short film from 1970 that, uh, uh Simbeni made that is also one of the best short films I think I've ever seen. Uh, and then, uh, the parallax view, uh, oh, wow. Alan, Alan Pakula's film with Warren Beatty is out on Blu-ray from Criterion, 1974. Um, I mean, it's kind of a classic Pakula film. I, I, I haven't watched this since I was a kid, I don't think. Um, mm. Alex Cox shows up in a comment with an introduction again, not a commentary, an introduction. He did commentaries on the others. There's also a, a thing on Gordon Willis as a, a cinematographer featuring an interview from 2004. Um, but, uh, you know, this is basically a, a kind of a dry run for all the president's men. Would you say that, Tim? Oh, yeah. You know, conspiracies, assassinations, uh, yeah. uh, corporate, corporate conspiracies, uh, politics, yeah. the whole shebang. It feels uh, like yeah. he's just he's like he's sharpening his claws to, to, to get into that. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's a good film. I think it's I'm a little surprised that it got a criterion uh, treatment, but I'm, I'm glad that it did. And um, I want to wrap out really quickly. Just for laughs with a, a film that I know you're going to get a kick out of um, the barbarians with the barbarian brothers. <laughs> this is, oh you remember, God. you remember, you remember this thing? Oh, I so, get them. Those brothers, those brothers are in a movie that I, that I ghost, that I ghost uh, writ wrote uh, a long time. Oh, ago, really? In the early, early nineties when I used to do all that stuff for, for Peter Mahari and all the PM entertainment, all that kind of stuff. I would rewrite all these terrible, terrible movies. And those well, brothers are in more than one, actually. So, so this is from 1987. And basically what was happening, it, 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 it's just such a, you know, Michael Berryman is in this thing too, as, as, uh, as you know, with a horn on his head, because he's a freaky looking <laughs> guy. But, but here's the thing. So after Arnold Schwarzenegger hit it big, uh, with Conan and everything else, the Barbarian Brothers, who are a couple of weightlifters that you could see here every just about every day down in Venice Beach, like they were not. Oh, yeah, they were all over the oh, place. Oh, I was oh, I saw these guys Peter, like Peter, Peter and David Paul. That's who they. Yeah, were. yeah. Paul, the Paul Brothers. Is the Paul yeah. Brothers. Yeah, I mean these guys were all over LA. They were not like hard to find. I mean, I I saw them everywhere. I'd see them at the restaurant, see them at the market, I'd see them on the beach, and you can't miss them, right? Because they're like they're like five seven wide. And like five, eight tall, yeah. you know, they, they're just like squares. Yeah. I mean, and they would walk around wearing those 80s style kind of like, like uh, cut off male halter top, you know, jerseys <laughs> that, that look unbelievably feminine, unless it's a guy with this many muscles wearing it. And then it's like, I dare you to make fun of me. I dare yeah. you to make fun of me for wearing this because I will break you in two. 
Um, yeah, you know, and I, I always love that. It's like, you know, isn't that isn't that what uh, isn't that what all the women wore in Flashdance? Like that little and. I'm not going to make fun, not making fun. You can, you can pull it off. You got the muscles. Anyway, this is just ridiculous. It's a ridiculous movie. Um, that is just straight up. Hey, uh, two Conans is better than one. That's all it is. It's a, it's a, it's a Conan, the barbarian ripoff with the, with the Paul brothers, uh, the barbarian brothers. And, um, they never really had much of a film career after that, but boy, is this a fascinating eighties artifact. The barbarians. Yeah, so much they, fun. They, they 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 would walk around like that, and they were they were they they were like Sylvester Stallone short, but they always shot them from real low <laughs> uh, to make right. them look like they were way 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 bigger than they than they actually I, were. I I saw them once at what was it? It was a fast food place. Like, I'm trying to remember what it was. It's fast one of those fast food places that doesn't exist anymore that served like you know salads. Uh, it was like, like, you know what I mean? It was like, like you, you do on the buffet line. You're like, this is just a whole, like nine different varieties of lettuce with bacon bits. Why am I paying $15 for this? And I saw them at one of those places and you walk in and you see them. You're like, those dudes are big. And as you walk closer to them, you go, those dudes are short. And then I'm next, <laughs> and then I'm next to them in the line and I'm like, yeah, I can take these guys. Nah, nah, I can take these guys because they're, because they are, they were short. It's hilarious, but you know I'm like towering over them. But you know, then I realize that their biceps are bigger than my waist, and um, you know. Anyway, anyway. All right, that's it for this week. We hope no more people die this week. Uh, it, it, it's it's been bad the last uh, the last few weeks. It's been bad, but it looks like we're we're getting daylight on the pandemic. Some teachers are coming back to school. Uh, cities are starting to open a little bit more. So vaccines getting out there. We hope you're all well. And uh, we will see. Well, we week. we will yeah. be doing uh, the um, the film week, uh, the big. Oh big yeah. Week. yeah, we're going to be doing we're going to be doing it virtually, but it'll give more people, including this audience, an opportunity sure. to to participate, which they wouldn't usually, you know, when we when it's a live show down at the Ace. So that it'll is, be online. Oh, I forget the date. I, I'm so terrible at promotion. Yeah, uh, but it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be uh, April, March, early April, I think it is. I think it's like the first a Sunday, April. one of those Sundays. Yeah, we will uh, we will. Play Plug that on the next show, but we've got time. Uh, Oscar nominations don't come out until March 5th, and then the Oscars are like April 28th. It's almost two months. It's a little bit like the way it used to be. Remember when the Oscars yeah. were late yeah. March? So, um, I'm uh, well, we finished our, our thing for Alaska so long ago. I don't know, man. I just, in some, in some ways, I feel like maybe, maybe, yeah, whatever. Indeed. All right. Well, everybody. We will see you next week.